Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger basketball win. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Well, James Harden finally got traded to his preferred destination in what was a shocking turn of events. I had a feeling that Daryl Morey would go to great lengths to make that not happen. But Sham Sharani reported this morning that the owners of both teams got involved and got the deal done. And James Harden and P.J. Tucker are heading to the Los Angeles Clippers in exchange for Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, 
and Robert Covington, as well as KJ Martin. So a haul, including two first-round draft picks and two second-round draft picks and a pick swap for the Sixers in return. We're going to be breaking that trade down from the perspective of both teams. And then I'm going to break down Lakers magic from last night. This is the first of two shows today. We're going to hit hard and trade Lakers magic here off the top. This afternoon, we're going to hit Warriors, Pelicans, as well as Timberwolves, Hawks, as the Hawks notched another impressive come-from-behind win. They're playing some really impressive defense right now. Two impressive defensive teams from the Eastern Conference that we're going to be breaking down in today's show. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. I'd really appreciate it if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button as we try to get this channel off the ground. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, where I'm posting video content as well as show announcements throughout the season. And then last but not least, drop mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them at the end of our shows periodically throughout the year. And then last but not least, before we get started, now we have the NBA in full swing. The World Series is still going on. We've got the NFL and college football in full swing. And we still have concerts and comedy shows all around the country that are still touring. And the best way to get tickets to any of these is on GameTime, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. So for amazing last minute deals, to see your favorite football team, baseball team, basketball team, download GameTime. And again, it's not just sports, concerts and comedy shows touring around the country. GameTime has you covered there as well. Download the GameTime app and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, download the GameTime app and enter code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. Let's talk some basketball. So a little breakdown of the details of the trade. The Clippers get James Harden and P.J. Tucker. The Sixers get Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, K.J. Martin. An unprotected 2028 first from the Clippers. It's a very high-quality pick considering they've got a lot tied up in some older injury-prone guys right now. So that could very well end up being a lottery pick by the time we get to 2028. Some other undetermined first-round pick that's being rerouted from another team. From what I read, there's like three different picks they're considering there, and it's going to be the best of those three. Two second-round picks and a pick swap. So a draft compensation haul for Daryl Morey and the Sixers, which makes sense because, you know, Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, and Robert Covington, K.J. Martin, those are all bench players, right? They did not get a quality starter in return for this trade. So we're going to talk about that. In a uh, in a little bit. So, uh, like sh- like I said at the beginning of the show, Shams reported that ownership got involved last night, and made the deal again. Like I was under the impression that Daryl Morey would probably take as sweet time to find the best possible deal and try to not send James Harden to his preferred destination. But sometimes you overpay and it gets done. And I think when all those draft picks were on the table, it got really hard for Daryl Morey to say no. I would imagine that Steve Ballmer probably got involved and was like, let's get this damn deal done so we could see what this team looks like. Because like that is, uh, it just, it, it was hard to imagine. Again, if you're not going to do it at the start of camp and you're not going to drag it out to the deadline and try to get something significant in return, especially since, again, like Nick Batum started for the Clippers, but he's not what I would consider to be a above-average starter quality player in the NBA. None of those guys are. And so the only way to get uh, Daryl Morey to pull the trigger on this kind of in this weird no-man's land post-camp but well before the trade deadline is if you throw the entire kitchen cupboard full of draft picks at the situation and that appears to have been the case and that's value because as we get to the Sixers here in a minute 
two draft picks, including a, a highly valued one from the Clippers, as well as two second round picks and a swap. That's a lot of stuff that they can use to throw at a star or a high quality starter down the line, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Now on the Clippers front, let's start with just what is James Harden at this point in his career? Well, as I've said all summer, he is an excellent regular season innings eater. We're going to talk about his postseason shortcomings, but I still believe that James Harden is one of the 20 best regular season players in the NBA. 21 points, 6 rebounds, and 11 assists last year. Led the league in assists. 61% true shooting. 1.08 points per pick and roll on huge volume, 1,094 possessions. He was the fourth most efficient pick and roll player out of the 15 guys to run at least 1,000 last year. 1.11 points per isolation possession fourth out of 25 players to run at least 250. He even scored 28 points on 18 post-ups, which is basically a point and a half, over a point and a half per possession. So within the context of the regular season, half-court shot creation, he's one of the very best players in the league still, still to this day. And again, that, that, is, that is what James Harden does. He is a floor general that can get your defense into ro- the other team's defense into rotation, and you guys can make plays out of that. He can feed guys in two-man game. He can beat switches with step-back threes beating people off the dribble, he is still very, very good in that regard. And I kind of uh, had a feeling that James Harden would have a bounce-back season last year, and he certainly did within the regular season context. He has a very analytically sound scoring approach, takes a lot of threes, especially off the dribble, to boost his true shooting percentage. He had a 53% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers. That's 1.06 points per possession, which is awesome. Did a nice job of mixing in more mid-range jump shots last year, just to kind of keep the defense off balance. Not as many as I'd like to see him take, but he did take more than he used to. Um, And he was outstanding off the ball in catch-and-shoot situations. A 65% effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jump shots. 72% when he's unguarded. Like I said before, still one of the best floor generals in the league. He led the league in assists in large part by setting up Joel Embiid for a shit ton of easy jump shots and closeout opportunities in pick and rolls and pick and pops. And that's kind of an interesting thing to potentially see, especially with Kawhi Leonard, someone who's capable of being a very good screener. You can imagine a lot of ghost screens or just pick and pops, pick and uh, soft rolls for Kawhi Leonard with James Harden to try to just set him up with easier closeout opportunities. But the playoff struggles were real. Outside of the two fantastic games in the Celtics series where he had 40-plus point nights and hit two game winners, he shot below 30% in six of the 11 playoff games in total. He had a 2-for-14 game, 3-for-14 game, a 4-for-18 game, a 3-for-13 game, a 4-for-16 game, and a 3-for-11 game. That's pretty rough. So for for the two games, he was awesome. He had six games where he was absolutely terrible. He shot just 35% at the rim in that playoff run. That was where the majority of his efficiency tanked. He just could not finish in traffic. He had four games with at least five turnovers as well. The Sixers were 24.4 points better per 100 possessions when James was off the floor versus when he was on for the whole playoff run, including the good games. When he was on the floor, they were minus 5 per 100 possessions, a 109 offensive rating, a 114 defensive rating, and 813 possessions. And when he was off the floor, the Sixers were plus 20 per 100 possessions, a 124 offensive rating, and a 105 defensive rating in 164 possessions. So he was like borderline a net negative within that context. Now, obviously... He played huge minutes. Those are bench groups that were doing really well, but they were a pretty a- they were a below average offense and a below average defense when he was on the floor 
in the postseason, and he was directly responsible for that in a lot of ways on both ends of the floor. So here's how I view the trade for the from the Clippers' perspective. P.J. Tucker is a better perimeter defender than Nick Batum, than Robert Covington, and Marcus Morris. He's a really good option to throw at, uh, throw at guys like LeBron and KD, who at this phase in their career aren't as laterally quick and easier to kind of physically contain at the point of attack. But there's a trade-off with P.J. Tucker. He typically goes unguarded on the other end of the floor. You just know the Lakers are going to do something like put Anthony Davis on P.J. Tucker and have him just park his ass in the paint make everything more complicated, right? Same thing goes for any of the teams that have uh, a legitimate rim protector. Even for, like, Phoenix, you're going to see them put KD on uh, Nick uh, on uh, P.J. Tucker, and he's just going to park his ass underneath the basket, blocking shots and grabbing rebounds. So, like, P.J. Tucker, very good option in that regard on the defensive end of the floor, but still comes with offensive limitations. I do think that James Harden... Now, on the P.J. Tucker front, to be clear, Nick Batum has his own issues. Robert Covington was borderline unplayable, and Marcus Morris was borderline unplayable. So, like, again, P.J. Tucker, for all his shortcomings, I believe is out of a deal that has four forwards in it, I think he's clearly the best forward. So they got the best forward back in the deal, right? And then James Harden will make the Clippers a much better regular season team. I, I genuinely believe he will. He's going to get them much ha- higher quality shots in the half court. He's going to shut up their uh, shut, set up their stars for higher quality isolation and closeout attacking opportunities. He's going to be able to control pace. He's going to be able to uh, be really effective off the ball. All of that makes sense to me. Um, but I do think that he could potentially end up being a net negative in the playoffs if he doesn't reverse that trend that's been going throughout his career, especially compared to more athletic groupings that they could throw out there. Got groups like Westbrook, Mann, Kawhi, PG, and you know Zubak or, or something along those lines. They're going to have groupings that I think are going to be more successful in the playoffs. I also don't understand the idea of bringing James Harden into the equation with your commitment to Russell Westbrook. You signed him last year, signed him again this year to a two-year deal, and he's been playing really well to start this year. 11 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 65% true shooting from Russell Westbrook so far. He's shooting his jump shot well. He's 5 for 11 on jump shots. He's been an awesome matchup attacker in isos and in the post. He just is so big and strong compared to other guards. He scored 29 points on 21 post-ups in isos, including passes. So like, if he's going to stay in the rotation... His role is going to change basically from what it has been, which has been a really natural fit with the Clippers, pushing the pace, controlling the flow of the offense, uh, applying rim pressure, getting quality shots for his stars, and you know doing some stuff off the ball, right? Uh, crashing the offensive glass and stuff, right? That's been his role. And the reason why it's working is because the Clippers need his rim pressure and his playmaking, right? That, that, that's what they've needed from him in that position. Now, you're taking the ball out of his hands and giving it to James Harden to run the show. Now, Russell Westbrook's role looks very similar to the way it looked with the Lakers. Very rarely is he going to get to run the show, like when James is on the bench, right? He's going to have to be in break rhythm situations constantly where suddenly in a second quarter grouping, he's going to be asked to run the show when he's out of rhythm because he's barely done anything before that. And he's going to have to be a deeply impactful off-ball player on offense and on-ball player on defense. That was his role when he was with the Lakers, and we all saw how that went. And so whatever sort of positive kind of like influx of of winning impact you've been getting from Russ with the basketball fit, I do think the James Harden piece kind of directly counters that out. And and I'm really curious in the big picture if they're going to find a way to make that work. And again, like I've been saying since the minute Russell Westbrook put on a Lakers jersey, if he 
can be really selective with his off-ball shot selection, meaning like taking the right type of standstill catch-and-shoot threes, if he crashes the offensive glass, if he operates as a ball screener, if he just works his ass off on the defensive end, on the ball, off the ball, crashing the defensive glass in switch situations against bigger players, if he does all that stuff, it's going to go great. But keep an eye on that Russell Westbrook situation taking a turn very similar to the Lakers because that's a possibility now that you've brought in, in the same way that LeBron James and Russell Westbrook were redundant. James Harden and Russell Westbrook are redundant. And James Harden's a better player than Russ right now. So at least in the regular season context, I'd argue Russ is a better playoff player. So I I do think that there's some uh, potential downside there as well. So to kind of like tie a bow on it, uh, from the Clippers' perspective, unless James Harden reverses his postseason trend of cratering and efficiency, the trade doesn't make the Clippers a better playoff team. But it will make them a better regular season team. The players are more, um, the players involved in the deal are more or less irrelevant. Like, yeah, you gave up three forwards, but you got back the best forward in the deal in PJ Tucker. And I do think PJ Tucker is a better playoff player than Nick Batum. So there's on the PJ Tucker spot, I view it as a slight upgrade for the postseason. On the James Harden spot, it entirely comes down to how he plays, and you guys know how that story has uh, has gone. Here's the reason why I wouldn't have made the trade. When you factor in James Harden's playoff limitations, when you factor in the Russell Westbrook fit and how that complicates as a result of this trade, and then lastly, you poured in the rest of your draft compensation. So you've severely hindered your ability to make another deal at the deadline based on a specific need from a specific position group. So I would argue that it would have been better to wait for the deadline to see what kind of high-level role players become available at that point. Then you throw the two picks, the two second-round picks, the swap, and those salaries at whoever that player is. But to be clear, there is upside here. If James Harden plays better in the playoffs, this will be a trade that improves the clip. It's just you're effectively gambling on James Harden's playoff performance. Moving on to the Sixers. I like the deal. Again, like I didn't like uh, the idea of sending him for nothing. You know, like I wanted the, the I wanted Daryl Morey to be patient for some sort of role player return, quality role players, because I didn't think the draft compensation was out there. But the Clippers showed you that they were desperate. They were willing to give two first round picks a swap in two seconds. You got to take that deal because at the end of the day, it's those salaries that you have now, whether it's Tobias Harris and some of these wings or just the wings again, whatever the salary combination you need to put together. You could theoretically just take the same three guys and package them with all the same picks and throw them at the right player at this year's deadline. And again, that uh, uh, that 2028 Clippers first round pick is very likely to be a high value pick with the the kind of up and down nature of the way the Clippers throw all their money in free agency at expensive, you know, kind of injury prone stars, right? And so it's on the table that that could be a great pick. So I, I who knows who it's going to be. That comes available. We talked about the Bulls guys, DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine, um, OG Ananobi from the Thunder, uh, from the Raptors, Pascal Siakam. These are Raptors guys that used to play with Nick Nurse, so don't be surprised if Nick Nurse pers- pushes for one of those guys. Good Jeremy Grant from the Portland Trailblazers. Who knows? But the Sixers are in a position now where they can push their chips in the table and make some sort of bigger, splashier deal at this year's deadline. And in the short term, Tyrese Maxey's literally been incredible. I'm not going to dive into it right now because we just broke it down yesterday, but for you Sixers fans, did a whole deep dive on, on Tyrese Maxey and how awesome he's been so far this season in our last video. Um, but like he's demonstrating that he can be the number one perimeter option for your team and do it at a high level. Um, 
Marcus Morris and Robert Covington aren't going to play much in the short term. Maybe against you might see some Marcus Morris against like power power wing teams like the Orlando Magic, the Milwaukee Bucks, or the Toronto Raptors. Nick Batum will play right away. He's a solid regular season wing and can shoot. Last season, he was 58% effective field goal percentage on jump shots, 1.11 points per spot-up attempt, which is great. And he was an okay perimeter defender. Uh, could make a shot in the playoffs, though, but I don't expect him to play too much when they get to the postseason. Kelly Oubre is playing really well for the Sixers right now, too, so they're kind of looking good at forward. So I think they'll be fine for the regular season, and they're ready to pounce on a potential star deal. Also, K.J. Martin, you know, they, they uh, ended up going for Jalen McDaniels last year in hopes of just finding another athletic forward that could help him there. Uh, K.J. Martin's another guy who could see getting some of those minutes off the bench in the big picture. So I really like the deal for the Sixers. It feels like they are fine for the regular season and positioned to make a all-in deal when they get towards the deadline. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's move on to Lakers magic, the Christian Wood effect. So we talked about this after the loss to the Kings last or two nights ago, but the Lakers have a problem right now with defensive rebounding. Their backcourt is extremely unathletic, as I've been t- talking about all summer, and because Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura are both out with injuries right now, you're leaning heavily on Torian Prince at the three, and he's thin and not a good rebounder. He's a okay perimeter defender and a very good spot-up player, which brings advantages on the offensive end of the floor. He's been one of the guys on offense that's actually played pretty well for the Lakers this season, but he doesn't help you in those physicality areas of the game. And so right now they're struggling with getting stops and failing to secure defensive rebounds on the back end, especially a predicament where Anthony Davis, one of two things is happening with Anthony Davis. He's either uh, switching onto the perimeter 
and getting a stop, but they can't get a rebound on the backside after because he's pulled away from the basket. Or in pick and roll, AD's getting too consistently engaged on the ball because the perimeter defenders are dying on screens and not doing a good job fighting over the top. So AD's having to leave Wendell Carter Jr., whoever it is on the back line, and he's giving up solid rebound position in the process. As long as they can get the shot over AD, Wendell Carter Jr., or whoever it is that's in the back line, depending on who they're playing, is getting easy offensive rebounds. And so one of the things that we pitched after what happened in the Phoenix Sun series is, hey, just play Christian Wood more. Because Christian Wood kind of brings to you the offensive potential of the ability to knock down an open shot and make a play attacking closeouts. He had a really smart play down the stretch on D'Lo's kind of soon-to-be game winner that put the Lakers up uh, 104-103, where Anthony Davis made a kickout pass to him out of a double team, and he pump faked and then did a wraparound pass to D'Lo that hit him right in the shooting pocket for the shot that ended up winning the game. It's a really smart kind of like offensive skill play from Christian Wood. He's not hurting you on offense, and he's providing some key elements on the defensive end of the floor, particularly defensive rebounding. So far, Christian Wood, when he's playing with Anthony Davis and LeBron in the front court, the Lakers are plus 10 in seven minutes, a 127 offensive rating, a 50 defensive rating, that's a plus 77 net rating. They're grabbing 55% of available rebounds, and almost all of those are in crunch time minutes when the game slows down against the opposing team's best players and in really physical, intense, playoff-esque basketball. Now again, will they outscore teams by 77 points per 100 possessions all season with that trio? Obviously not. But to me, that's a really encouraging example of a lineup they could use in late game situations to confront their rebounding issues, at least in the short term until Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura come back into the equation. Jared Vanderbilt's kind of like the perfect guy theoretically in this position because he can provide a lot of that high-end perimeter defense and help you with crashing in defensive rebound situations while at the same time just uh, upping your overall athleticism. And again, that will come down to his offensive uh, performance. And he uh, uh, made some strides in preseason. So we'll see how it actually shows up in the regular season. But I think in the big picture, Vanderbilt ends up being the guy. But in the short term, while you're waiting for him, and then maybe in the big picture, if he continues to play this well, Christian Wood's a really good option there at the three. And he's doing a lot. He's providing that defensive rebounding piece, right? He's also um, a pro- a providing secondary rim protection. He a- talked about after the game how he's waiting for AD to go up to block shots, knowing that if they pump fake um, or or if they uh, get an offensive rebound, he's there on the back end to either well, – I shouldn't say get an offensive rebound. He's there after the shot over AD to either get the defensive rebound or if they pump fake AD out of his shoes, he can step over and provide that second layer of rim protection. And then he's also been pretty solid on the perimeter. He guarded KD down the stretch of that game against the Suns, and then he also had a couple of key perimeter stops, including a big one against Paolo Boncaro, Um Uh, down the stretch of this game. He's just good at baiting guys into pull-up jump shots and then using his deceptive length to contest shots. And basically what it amounts to is it's a big lineup, right, with a second big next to AD, but one that can respectively respectably space the floor and attack closeout. So you have the advantages rebounding and defensively that you get from more size on the floor with the offensive advantages you get from more perimeter skill. Uh, Late game execution was solid in this game. Remember, we talked a lot after the Kings game about, oh, they need to, you know, run more through AD because these guards are missing these shots. And what did I say? I pushed back and I said, 
LeBron's doing his job. He's drawing multiple defenders and getting the defense in rotation. And then the Lakers are generating wide open threes. Like against the Kings, it was like wide open Gabe Vincent threes, wide open Torian Prince threes, wide open D'Angelo Russell threes. Those are wide open threes for great shooters. And they just missed them. And then everyone's like, you got to go through AD more. You got to go through AD more. And I said, it doesn't matter. Even if he gets a bucket in the post, whoever the coach is is going to start throwing the kitchen sink at AD and you're going to have to make shots on the weak side. Well, what happened? Anthony Davis post up left block 103 to 102 or 103 to 101. The magic double along the baseline. AD has to get rid of the ball, swings the ball to Christian Wood. Christian Wood makes the extra pass to D'Angelo Russell. Same wide open three that D'Lo missed in overtime that would have put the Lakers up by two. Same one. Wide open, little bit on the right wing. And he knocked it down this time. Again, like I, I told you guys, settling for jump shots off the bounce is totally different. Like when LeBron James takes those step back threes, and by the way, he took two of them down the stretch and he made one of them. So that's three points and two possessions, right? But like when LeBron James is settling, that's settling, right? Technically, he could make a more aggressive downhill move to try to draw multiple defenders for a kickout three or try to get all the way to the rim, right? That settling, I'm 100% with you guys. And Le- LeBron's going to have to shoot the way he's been shooting. And we're going to talk about it in a second because he shot really well in crunch time. He's going to have to shoot that well in order for that shot to make any sense. But if they're drawing multiple defenders, the right read is to kick to shooters. That's the team construct. LeBron, Anthony Davis, Rim pressure, teams are going to pack the paint, guys have to make shots. And again, like it's a make or miss league in a lot of ways, but like again, make or miss is a lot about process and which players. Like if you generate high quality shots for good shooters in the big picture, you're going to make them more frequently. And after I, I said after the Kings game, if the Lakers continue to generate wide open threes for D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent, and Torian Prince, and Austin Reeves, or whoever it is, if they keep generating wide open threes, they're going to win a lot of games because those are good shooters and they should eventually get to the point defensively where they can get enough stops on the other end of the floor. But D'Lo made it. That's the difference. They won this game because of that. It's not about who initiates. As long as LeBron or AD are both drawing multiple defenders, it's going to be the same result. Guys have to make shots. Lakers in the clutch so far this season, 2-1. and one, A 98 defensive rating, which is really excellent when you consider how bad they were in the Kings game. They had like a 124 defensive rating in the Kings game in clutch time. So they've been really good in the clutch when Christian Wood's on the floor. The other two clutch games are the Suns game and this Magic game. Christian Wood was out there for those ones. They were excellent defensively in the clutch. So basically, really good defensively in the clutch in the games where Christian Wood played, not so much in the game where he didn't. Offensively, that also coincided with the game where all the skilled players missed shots. That's the perfect recipe for the Lakers to blow a four-point fourth-quarter lead as they lose to the Kings, right? Um, but the Lakers so far are have a plus-20 net rating in clutch situations through three games. Uh, LeBron in the clutch so far, he has 20 points when the game is within five with less than five minutes left. That is tied for Luka Doncic for the most in the league. He's eight for 10 from the field, two for four from three, and two for four from the free throw line. And again, I thought he did his job against the Kings too, drawing multiple defenders and kicking to wide open shooters. This is big because last year LeBron was not a good clutch player. He had a rough season in that regard. This is a small sample size, but so far this season, LeBron has been much better making shots and making decisions at the end of games in clutch situations for the Lakers. Anthony Davis. Um, I don't remember where I put him in my player rankings. It was either six or seven. I think I had him at six, if I remember correctly. But a lot of people reacted and said, you have him too high. And what I keep trying to point out to everybody is like, you're pairing 
legitimate offensive production with top-tier defensive production. But let's look at the offensive production first. Anthony Davis so far this season, 26 points, 14 rebounds, and 3 assists. He's third in rebounding in the league, third in blocks in the league at 2.8 per game, and he has a 61% true shooting percentage. So he's been efficiently scoring 26 points per game while also being one of the best rebounders, top three rebounder in the league, and he's putting together one of the best defensive seasons so far, again, small sample size, that you'll see. And the reason why I say that is this Laker team has been absolutely atrocious on the perimeter defensively. LeBron is still coast mode. Totally get why he's a million years old, right? But Torian Prince and Gabe Vincent are helping you on uh, uh, Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent, D'Angelo Russell, and Austin Reeves are all getting cooked on the perimeter consistently. They're dying on screens. They're not boxing out. They're not paying attention to their man in the ball. A huge problem in this particular magic game was guys like Markel Fultz and, and Jalen Suggs crashing from the perimeter, not just on offensive rebound situations, but also on cuts. Like a guy would be driving the lane, and a Torian Prince would just kind of be standing looking like this, and the dude would just cut right behind him for a layup. That's happening way too much. The perimeter defense is atrocious for the Lakers, and yet they still have been the 13th best defense by defensive rating in the regular season so far, and the seventh best defense in the clutch so far, literally because of Anthony Davis and what he can do to clean up messes, to clean up the defensive glass. He's putting on the mother of all cleanup jobs on the defensive end of the floor while also putting up 26 26 points and 14 rebounds while also doing a really nice job creating his own shots so far this season. He's ran 40, he's run 32 post-ups and ISO so far, leading to 41 points. That's a point in the third per possession. That's excellent. He's finally starting to make his touch shots around the rim. Coming into last night, he was just 6 for 20 in the paint outside of the restricted area. So like short paint shots, right? He was 6 for 20 going into last night. He was 6 for 7 last night. Starting to get his touch back there. I, he's, I think he's the best defender in basketball. I think he's proving that he belongs in the conversation with the best players in the league. But in the big picture... The Lakers are still playing pretty bad basketball, and they're going to be in trouble if they don't clean some things up before they see the Clippers on Wednesday. Austin Reeves is slumping hard. This is a guy who I thought was easily the third best player on the Lakers last year and was probably the second or third best player on Team USA this summer, and he's playing like shit. He doesn't look explosive off the bounce. I don't know if he's dealing with a nagging injury or if he's just a little fatigued from everything that went on this summer. D'Angelo Russell hinted in his post-game interview that Austin's kind of trying to get his legs back underneath him. But it's affected him in a bunch of other ways because he's been a much better defensive player in his career than he's been this season. He's really struggling on that end. His uh, rhythm and confidence look shot. He's really struggling to to be uh, impactful offensively with the ball, and he's missing all of his catch-and-shoot threes. It's been a rough season for Austin. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that players become bad overnight. I think Austin's going to get it together and he's going to be fine. But until he does get it together, that's the Lakers' third best player playing like shit, and that's going to hurt them in the big picture in terms of their uh, night-to-night ceiling. Um, Overall, as a team, the perimeter defense is awful. I've talked about this. Navigating screens has been bad. uh, Handling perimeter athleticism from guys cutting and crashing the glass is bad. The transition defense has been bad. Everything has been really bad on the perimeter defensively. D'Angelo Russell's the worst culprit. He had a really rough game last night. Jalen Suggs just took it to him. He made up for it by making a bunch of big plays in the fourth quarter on the offensive end of the floor, but he gave damn near just about all of it back on the defensive end. I mean, even his game-winning shot... 
came right after a play where he lost Jalen Suggs on a basic dribble handoff for a wide open three. And so like D'Lo is still all over the place. This is a guy who said he wanted to be like Derek White on defense, and he just hasn't put his money where his mouth is yet. And then lastly, the shooting. This is a team, I don't think they're going to be a great shooting team, but they also shouldn't be a bad shooting team. They, I mean, the three, three of the starters they've been using are all well above average catch-and-shoot three-point shooters that are all just not shooting particularly well. So when Austin Reeves gets it together, when as a team they start defending better, and when they start knocking down shots, that's when things will go up a level from there. Uh, but to be 2-2 two and two in spite of all of that, not a bad place to be for playing really bad basketball, but they are going to drop to 2-3 and three on Wednesday if they don't fix a bunch of those issues quickly because the Clippers are playing some good basketball right now. Moving on to the Orlando Magic. I love this team. They can't shoot. Right now, they're 24th in threes made per game and 22nd in three-point percentage. And that's definitely hurt their half-court offense at times. It's a lot of Franz Wagner and Paolo Boncaro, Wendell Carter, and and uh, and Markel Fultz missing jump shots right now. Uh, but that, again, like that's kind of going to be something they deal with throughout the season. However, they've got a lot of advantages, particularly with their size and athleticism. They are huge. They are athletic at every position group. They play hard. They play physical. These are some crazy stats about their defense right now. They're the best defense in the league in defensive rating, and they're the only team in the league allowing fewer than 100 points per 100 possessions. They're third in rebounding percentage. They are sixth in offensive rebounds per 100 possessions. They are fourth in opponents' points in the paint per 100 possessions. They are seventh in defending the three-point line, both in three-pointers made by opponents and opponent three-point percentage. They are third in steals per 100 possessions, and they are the second-best transition defense in the league. So they are just cleaning house in all of the margins of the game with all of their size and athleticism. Again, Wendell Carter is a good starting center in this league. Paolo and Franz bring this huge rim pressure element to the team. Paolo's been a very good post player uh, uh, throughout his NBA career. Franz is this big playmaking forward, right? And then Fultz and Suggs bring real downhill athleticism. D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves got their asses kicked last night just by those two guys beating them off the dribble, beating them off of cuts, beating them on the offensive glass. Markel Fultz was even just picking them apart in pick and roll, there was a sequence down the stretch where they, he actually played Austin Reeves off the floor where he uh, uh, basically gets downhill and makes a, a, an easy layup over Anthony Davis. Then he uh, uh, Anthony Davis steps up and they both go to the ball and he throws a lob to Wendell Carter Jr. for the easy dunk, right? Then, uh, then Markel Fultz just starts caving Austin's chest in for an easy hook shot in the lane. They were just getting bucket after bucket after bucket. They couldn't do anything with that Markel Fultz-Wendell Carter pick and roll. And they actually played Austin Reeves off the floor. And that's the cool part is like Fultz is your third best perimeter initiator. And he took over the offense late and made a bunch of huge plays to get them back into this game. And they probably had a good chance to win that game if if Jalen Suggs just makes a better rim decision there down that final possession. He just decided to challenge AD. Big mistake. There was an easy drop-off pass to Wendell Carter right in the dunker spot. That's probably what he should have done. Uh, but this is a fun team. They are 2-1 right now, despite both Franz Wagner and, and uh, Paolo Banquero playing poorly. They're both shooting below 40% from the field. And they bring a bunch of athleticism and size off the bench as well. Like Cole Anthony and Gary Harris are a pretty athletic backcourt, especially for a bench group. Gary Harris is 7-for-11 on catch-and-shoot threes so far this season. Catch-and-shoot jumpers, I should say. 
and that lineup is tied off. So you got uh, Cole Anthony and Gary Harris, but then you've got Mo Wagner at the center position who's playing well, and then you have Joe Ingles and uh, Jonathan Isaac in there as like good, lanky, rangy wings on the perimeter. So th- that uh, that lineup right now is plus twenty three points net in fifty three possessions. Excellent on both ends of the floor. They feel like a playoff team to me. I mean, like, they're going to win a lot of games even if they don't shoot particularly well. And if those guys uh, start to take uh, steps up as jump shooters, especially as Franz and Paolo start playing better offensively, they're going to be even tougher to beat. Don't be surprised. They play the Clippers tonight. Don't be surprised if they beat the Clippers tonight. That's on the table. That's something that team is capable of doing. All right, guys, that is all I have for this portion of the show. Like I said, I'm going to be back later this afternoon breaking down Warriors, Pelicans, and Wolves, Hawks. I will see you guys then. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.